what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. Thank you to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. If you listen to this podcast, you know I love a great founder story. That's why I love the story of Kentucky 74 from Spiritless, three young women from Louisville, Kentucky, who had the idea for a healthier bourbon, healthier in the sense it has no alcohol. So you can have an evening cocktail with no guilt and almost no calories. It is so delicious. I love to squeeze an orange slice, a couple of dashes of bitters, shake it with ice, and then strain it into a beautiful glass and just kick back. If you'd like to try a bottle of Spiritless, you can use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For, the podcast, where we meet the world's most fascinating and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Gail Becker, founder and CEO of Kali Power. I hadn't bet on myself in, in quite some time. I sort of needed, you know, the validation of others to bet on me. And it was really that culmination that made me realize I'm in charge of my own destiny. I can make this decision. Gail Becker's story is amazing. Her career has spanned media, politics, and business. She's held executive roles at Warner Brothers, Edelman, and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. But her life changed when she leaned in to a very personal problem. Her two boys have celiac disease, which means they can't eat gluten. And Gail grew tired of searching for healthier alternatives that were easy to make and tasted great. Knowing she couldn't be alone, she left her corporate job and launched Kali Power in 2017. Today, Kali Power is America's number one cauliflower-crusted pizza, number one gluten-free pizza, and a top 10 frozen pizza brand in the total market. But it's Gail's personal story of creating something out of nothing that has brought me to this conversation today. Please enjoy my interview with Gail Becker. Gail, thank you so much for joining me on To Dine For, the podcast. It's wonderful to see you this morning. It's so nice to see you, too. I have to say, there's few things I like better than talking about food and dining. So this is right up my alley. <laughs> <Me> <laughs> it's a great way too. to start the day. It really is. It really is. I'm curious, because I like to start every podcast the same way. And that is, before we dive into the story of Gail Becker and Kali Power, what is your favorite restaurant in the country and where would you take me if you had to choose one spot? 
That is an incredibly tough question, but I have to say one of my favorites is actually not too far from me. It's a small restaurant called Pace, which means peace in mm. Italian, and it's in the middle of Laurel Canyon. Mm. So it's surrounded by trees. It's got a little funky, eclectic little store next to it. And they serve the most beautiful food from local source from local farmers and the stories about where it comes from. And you can just tell how much they care about nourishment, which is obviously something that's important to me. I love when a restaurant can elevate your mood, your spirit just by being yeah. there. And sometimes it comes down to the hospitality, the way somebody makes you feel. But exactly. very often, I think we underestimate the power of decor or the atmosphere to also affect the experience. And so it's interesting that you picked a place that to me visually sounds so serene and peaceful. You're right. It's so interesting because the question was not what restaurant do you think has the best food, right? but what's your favorite restaurant? Yes, It's really the experience in its entirety. Mm-hmm. And for every celebration, every holiday, I couldn't imagine going anywhere else. It's sort of like my happy place. And I know the the maitre d' knows me and my family. And it's just beautiful in every way. And I just love it. So your story of building Cauliflower is an amazing one. And I can't wait to dive in. You set out to solve a problem. And what was that problem that you set out to solve? Well, for me, the problem was I was the mom of two boys with celiac disease, and they were diagnosed at such a young age that there was no gluten-free food in the store. Mm. So everything they needed, I had to make. Like if so, include so if it was their birthday, I had to make cupcakes for the class, including the frosting. And <laughs> what I began to realize as the industry began to evolve, and you could find gluten-free food in the store is that the food really only had to tick the box of being gluten-free. It didn't need to taste good, and Mm. it certainly didn't need to be good for you. It just Mm. needed to be gluten-free. And I began to realize, as a result, how much junk the industry was putting in gluten-free food. Not surprisingly, like all of us, I sort of waited around for somebody to do something and no one ever did. So really fair to say that Colleen Power was born out of a frustration of waiting. So was it you that developed the recipe for using the cauliflower to actually create the pizza crust? The inspiration, I should say, was everybody, 569,000 people to be exact, because that's the number of recipes I found online Wow! when I decided to make my first cauliflower crust pizza, my first and only, I should say. Most people think I like made it, you know, a hundred times and perfected it in my kitchen. There's no, nothing could be further from the truth. I made it once, one time only and said, I'm never doing this again. And I thought, let's find a way to make it easier for people. And that's really, what I did. You know, I made it one time. It was okay. It wasn't great. I just picked a a, a recipe off the internet. And when my sons asked if I was going to make it again, I said, there's no way because who has 90 minutes to make a pizza crust after you get home from a full day of work. Right. But I'll tell you what, I'll find it for you. And I looked everywhere and I couldn't find it online. I looked in stores. That's when I decided I can't be the only one that thinks 90 minutes is too long to make a pizza crust. And I left my job and 
started cauliflower. Okay, so this is fascinating. It wasn't that you developed a recipe that was phenomenal. It was that you identified the need that a phenomenal recipe was needed for that cauliflower pizza. From that moment, you said, I need to create a business that would create it. Exactly. I love it. So exactly. you, So this is going to be so inspiring to people because people think to themselves, I can't cook. For example, I have a son who's diabetic, right? So I'm constantly looking for food that has low carbs, right? But you know, what do I know about the math of that and the carbs? Yeah. So people who are listening to this conversation, they have ideas all the time, but how do you go right. from inspiration to execution is the real question. And I know it was the passing of your father that was of great inspiration to you and yeah. really set you off off on this path. Can you explain? Yeah, sure. So my father, uh, I'm a first generation American. Uh, Both my parents were Holocaust survivors. And my father built a small business uh, when he came to this country. He knew nothing. He had nothing. He knew no one, had no money, no family. And he built a small business. And really- What was the business? American dream. It was a um, a salvage business. So, um, and interestingly enough, he dealt a lot with food. Who knew? Like, uh, let's say a way warehouse caught on fire somewhere. Well, half the goods would not be sellable. The other half were fine, but couldn't be sellable because they were involved in a fire. So my father would buy it very cheap and he sold it. First, he had a store for many years in San Francisco, and then he he he, he closed the store but maintained the business. And I used to work in that store uh, for every Saturday for $20 a day plus lunch. And I used to bring the cash register. And it gave me quite a good and literal perch from which to watch my dad interact with people and consumers and his clientele. And that is really what what sort of inspired me, not even knowing at the time that I, I wanted to follow in his footsteps. When he passed away, I knew that Frankly, I just wanted to do something more meaningful. I didn't mm. really know what it was. I mean, mm. it ended up being collie power, but I just, I knew I had to make a change. It's just corporate America just wasn't fulfilling to me anymore. And I wanted something that w- w- was just going to help people. And what were you doing at that moment? Where were you working and what was your actual job? I was um, a very senior executive at a the largest, you know, global communications firm. And, you know, I had sort of worked my way up the proverbial ladder. And when I got to the top, I realized I didn't really like the view anymore. I I didn't know what to do. It was really this fascinating sort of convergence of these three things happening in my life. My disenchantment with corporate America, the passing of my father, and the realization that I can't be the only one who thinks 90 minutes is too long to make a pizza crust. And that's when I like put everything in the blender. And what I came out with was, I know I'm going to quit my job and start a company called Collie Power. And that's what I did in May of 2016. And we launched in February 2017. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. 
American National Agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National Agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Now back to our conversation. It's so fascinating because so many people, when they undergo a huge life transition, and obviously the death of a parent is can't, it doesn't get bigger, they start to reflect. We are in the midst of this pandemic and it's causing everyone to reflect on their career and their jobs and are they doing work that matters. Where do you go from there to creating Kali Power? So I took all the money that my dad left me, which certainly wasn't enough to uh, uh, retire on a a desert island, but it was enough to let me take a chance. And I took a lot of my savings and I hired consultants and I hired Mm. consultants to teach me about the business. One of them actually took me to a grocery store and we walked the aisles and I learned how retail works and how to get a product into retail and how to sell it in. And I hired them to help me find a manufacturer who could help me make this pizza, which was incredibly hard. And a lot of people turned me down because they looked at me like, you know, you want to make a pizza crust out of cauliflower? Are you crazy lady? Um, And you've never worked with a business before? I don't think so. That was pretty humorous looking back. But um, so that's what I did. You know, I was really, you know, I I was a sponge. And in fact, in many ways, I, I, I still am. And I surrounded myself with people who knew the business and I, and, and I've learned something every day. Your curiosity led you through this journey, it sounds like. All of the skills and faculties that you had been honing your entire career is what propelled you to that moment. Obviously, hiring consultants helped guide you to some degree, but what was the big pain point at the beginning? Like, you know, you're getting this advice of all these people who know retail, know how to get items into grocery stores, but what was your, your biggest problem at that moment? I would say it was twofold. One was finding a manufacturer. I mean, they all thought I was crazy. And I obviously had very low volumes uh, and money was very tight. Uh, And it's very, very, very expensive to make a frozen pizza. I wish I would have started with a bag of chips or a bar or something like that. But no, no, I had to go all into frozen (laughs) pizza. But, you know, getting people in the industry, in manufacturing to actually take a chance on me and bet on this idea was really, really hard. The other hard part, quite frankly, was my own questioning of, you know, what was I doing now? It all sounds very well and good. Oh, my God, she's so smart. She left her job and started calling power. Well, at the time, it was probably the stupidest thing I could have ever done. Right. Think about it. Take every (laughs) single thing I had and bet it all on an industry that I knew nothing about. Oh, and by the way, let's call out a vegetable while we're doing it. So at the time, it couldn't have been 
more ridiculous. And I guess that's what makes it all so wonderful. I'm really curious as to the psychology of that moment, because you must have been feeling having taken all this money that you'd gotten from your dad and wanting to do good with it and wanting to follow in his footsteps of starting a business. What was the psychology of those uncertain moments of, should I keep doing this? Is this going to work out? Take me to then. Well, I would say, you know, so when I, the, the day I started the business, which ostensibly involved like the first phone call, right? I sat my two sons down at the kitchen table and I had talked about with them that, you know, I I wanted to do this. And I sat them at the, down at the kitchen table and I made them watch and listen because I thought this is going to be a great education for them. Mm -hmm. Let them see that, you know, it's sort of never too late to bet on yourself, that Mm. you can always be in charge of your own destiny, which is something, you know, obviously given his background, my father just always drilled in me. Why would you ever want to work for someone else? So I did Mm. have his voice echoing in the back of my mind, but I also had the awesome responsibility that I know how hard he worked for that money. Mm -hmm. It was everything to him. And that house that he scraped and and bought together in the early, you know, 1970s. So I felt an awesome responsibility. And I would have these conversations with him. All sounds kind of embarrassing now. And I know, and I would say things like, I know you think I'm crazy, Dad. (laughs) Don't be angry. I really, this is something I need to do. And so I would have these conversations with my kids and with myself. And to be perfectly honest, I think that's one of the benefits of age, right? I had tried so many things. I had so many different careers, but I still really wasn't fulfilled. And I felt like this was my shot to do something that I actually wanted to do, Mm -hmm. which to be perfectly honest, I had never really done before. Mm -hmm. And that was a powerful motivator. Gail, let me stop you there because I think that's really interesting because your dad had always drilled into your head to not work for other people, to work for yourself, but you had not. You had chosen a different path. You had done the executive route and had been Uh very successful at it. In a way, it was the first time you were listening to your dad with that piece of advice. Right. I had to wait for him to pass away until I actually listened to him. I know the irony of it. It, The irony of it, the irony of it. And that's why there are so many things that happen to us in life. I could point to five different things in my childhood that happened that I never thought twice about, but that influenced me to today. Give me an example. Uh, my parents, uh, obviously were, were ch- uh, children of the war. Food was very important to them. Food was like, you showed someone you love them by feeding them. Mm. And even if you couldn't afford anything else, you bought the best possible food and you never, ever wasted it. In fact, you put every last scrap in the freezer. Well, guess what, mom? I ended up going into frozen food. Um, <laughs> my grandfather was a dairy farmer and I used to work on the dairy farm and milk the cows and all of these things. And uh, my dad used to sell canned tomatoes in his in his store. So all these different mm. and sell food to, to restaurants around San Francisco. So there are all these moments in my life that sort of led up to this. But, you know, sometimes 
I don't know. Now it's sort of cool to be a founder. It's cool to be an mm-hmm. entrepreneur. Wasn't always like that. Yeah. It was a lot harder. And I always went the safe route. You know, I finally got to a point where I just said, well, I'm just going to chuck it all and, 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 and try this. And I think age helped me because I sort of felt like it was my turn to try. Yeah, and it is a huge risk, right? And 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 we're we're not underscoring enough how that feeling of risk and that that fear that comes with it that you forget mm-hmm. because you know obviously mm-hmm. Kali Power did work out and is you know such a huge success. But back to that those moments of of fear and and trying to get through them, you understand why people take a safer route. I understand it more myself as an entrepreneur now. Understand it more than I did before because it, yeah. it you know it does keep you up at night. It is a sense mm-hmm. of oh my mm-hmm. gosh, am I actually going to make this work? And right. that that day in day out feeling, and it isn't for everybody. Obviously, it's fun to talk about when it does work out, right? And it's fun to talk about when it is a success. What advice would you give someone who is especially in a midlife career transition? Because I feel like that was you. And that is the person that I want to talk to at this moment, who is saying to themselves, well, gosh, what could I do? I I have achieved success. I do feel uh, disenchanted with this. You know, I think it's very common for, you know, when you reached a certain amount of success, if you were going to ditch it, there has to be a sign, right? Mm. What's the sign that now is the right time? How, how, how do I know now is the right time? I don't know. It's not the right time. I'm going to wait. Don't wait for a sign. Ah, don't wait it's for never a sign. Gonna, it's never going to happen. If you waited for a sign to have there was the right time to have kids, would you ever have kids? <laughs> No, because there's no right time to have kids. So you just have them. And it's kind of the same way. In some ways, you sort of have to trust the universe and bet on yourself. And I hadn't bet on myself in, in quite some time. I sort of needed, you know, the validation of others to bet on me. And it was really that culmination that made me realize I'm in charge of my own destiny. I can make this decision. And then the other thing is something you touched on, which is, the fragility of life, mm. which is to your point, what the pandemic did for all of us. It made us realize the fragility of life. So what the hell are you waiting for? What the hell are you waiting for? <laughs> I love it. We talked about the beginning and the uncertainty mm-hmm. and things not working out and finding a menu. What was a turning point where you're like, wait a minute, this could actually go somewhere. So my first big win was I, so you have to actually make the product before you can sell it, right? So I had put all of this time, money, energy, and resources into making my, these first samples of pizza, which are literally the most expensive pizza you, you, you've ever eaten. And then uh, I took it to uh, Whole Foods, if any of your listeners, um, Whole Foods has this program where you can pitch your product to the region in which you live. Okay. So I live in Southern California, fortunately, which is a large region for Whole Foods. I dropped off literally a styrofoam container carrying four pizza samples, uh, which I might as well have been carrying my child because that's what it (laughs) felt like. I couldn't get a meeting. I put it on the desk at the receptionist and I felt like I was leaving my child at daycare for the very first time. (laughs) And then I just waited. And the following week, 
this is so interesting. I happened to be in Washington, D.C. A good friend of mine was speaking on entrepreneurship, of female entrepreneurship of all things, at the White House. I go to a Starbucks afterwards, and I get this email from the buyer at Whole Foods. We tried your pizza. We loved it. We want to bring it into 30 stores. Ah! I let out a scream <laughs> in this just like Starbucks in Georgetown. <laughs> and I wanted to buy everyone in the place a latte because I was so excited. <laughs> and I was really floored. And I couldn't believe that someone was actually validating my dream. Yeah. And uh, it was pretty extraordinary. Lots of extraordinary moments since then, but but that was the first. That one. was the big one, yeah. And that that I can feel the excitement. That's amazing. So you know, you you get it out, and then it's a matter of obviously you start with thirty stores and you grow from there. You know, keep in mind you were working in, as you said, in one of the largest PR firms in the world. So you had an expertise in public relations and marketing, but. What did you do specifically with Kali Power to take it to the next level to really, it really became like a viral trend. Was it influencers? Did you get some celebrity folks trying it? What was, what was the secret sauce? There? I couldn't afford any of that. I couldn't really? afford any. No, I had like, so look, everybody comes to the table with something. For me, it happened to be marketing. For someone else, maybe it's sales. For someone else, maybe it's financial. You don't have to know everything. Mm -hmm. Know what you know, know what you don't know, and build your team around that. So I did know a little something about marketing. So um, I just told the story. I told the story to who, anyone who would listen. We got some great early pickup. Someone at Parade Magazine had tried it put us on a top trends list, and it just went rolling from there. We launched at um, Expo West in March of 2017, and there were only three of us at the time working this with. We must have made 1,500 pizzas that weekend. Wow. And the response was amazing, and the orders were just flowing in consumers were catching on. They were following us. They were sharing us. They were taking pictures in the store. I made the box very sort of Instagrammable, which hadn't really been done. And people were taking pictures of it and sharing it. And I reached out to my network and I, you know, every time a story would come out, I'd say, please share this. And sometimes people would, and sometimes they wouldn't, but you always remember. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of how it grew. You know, all Kali Power did was listen to what consumers were asking for, you know, and they were so frustrated by big food not offering it that they had to resort to spending 90 minutes to make it. All I wanted to do was make it easier for them. I love it. And now Kali Power is going into different types of food, right? Give us an example of what's next for Kali Power. And our, another very popular Kali Power uh, product is our chicken tenders, which are the healthiest chicken tender ever made, coated in cauliflower and baked and not fried. And uh, they're delicious. Um, people love them. It's a very popular product. We did launch a couple months ago, our pasta, only in about 5,000 stores. And now it's, it's uh, rolling out into tens of thousands this month and next month. So everybody can try the pasta. We are so excited for it. It's amazing. It, it actually comes from Italy. It's the lowest calorie pasta. And then in October, we'll be announcing a brand new not just a brand new product, but a brand new category as well. 
Amazing. You're, this story is really going to inspire a lot of people, especially people who are beginning their entrepreneurial journey and in the thick of it as well. Who inspires <laughs> you and who in this road to creating this company have you leaned on, listened to, admired from afar and learned from? Who I've learned from, who I've been inspired by, who keeps me going when the, when the days get dark are the consumers. Mm -hmm. They reach out to me personally and to us as a company every single day on social media, on LinkedIn, on Twitter. They give us their feedback. They write us letters. I can't tell you how many letters I have from people who just share simple stories about we saved the day for them because they didn't know what to make for dinner, that they didn't have to feel guilty about serving their kids. And they were just so appreciative to have the option to people who are diabetic or who've been trying to lose weight and how Collie Power has helped them on their journey to people who've been gluten-free their entire lifetime and never had options that actually tasted good and on and on and on it goes. And there's been some dark days and I, I have a, um, in my office, I have letters posted around my computer that I just reread to remind me why I keep going and really the, the whole inspiration for starting the company. Because, you know, a life without pizza, I mean, is it worth living? I mean, you, and if you have celiac <laughs> disease, right? I mean, the idea yeah. of being di the diagnosis and then saying to yourself, does that mean I can't eat pizza? I mean, the fact that you're improving people's lives and it, it sounds like, um, you know, I'm being cheesy, but I'm not. It really is a huge thing. I can imagine as a mom myself to three boys, like to be able to give people an alternative is powerful. It really is. And the fact that you've been able to do it and really reinvent yourself all in one is just an amazing story. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. I remember when the boys were little, I have two sons and they were, uh, their friends would come over and they'd say, mom, don't serve our friends the gluten-free pizza. Serve them the regular pizza. Just serve it because they were embarrassed by yeah, it. Right. And again, something that happened prior in my life that I drew upon later. But the whole theory being in a world that divides us at every opportunity, why can't we just all share the same thing at the table? Even if we have entirely different reasons for eating it. Maybe you just want a lower calorie pizza. Maybe you want a gluten-free pizza. Maybe you just want a great tasting pizza. Whatever your reason is, we can all eat the same thing. We don't have to make seven different meals. We don't have right. to always be divided. And it's that notion of sharing and nourishment. And really, it's not that I'm a foodie. I, I call myself a mealist. I like meals. Yes. I like sharing food. I like feeding people. I like the experience going back to where we started mm -hmm. about the restaurant. I like the entire experience. And if we can make that that much more enjoyable by sharing it together, then that's a win. Well, I will tell you, um, the next time in, I'm in Laurel Canyon, I would love to join you for dinner and, and raise a I glass to you it. and all of your oh success. My gosh. Gail. Let's do it. I would love that. I want to share it with you. Thank you so much for this time today and for sharing your story. Really appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at To Dine For with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. 
to the loyal followers of this program. Cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.